Painter, are you there on the other side? I'm there. I also think I worked out my microphone better this time. Okay, that's good. That's good. I didn't think it was too big of a deal on our last episode, but you're always thinking of the people first. You're wanting to, you're wanting to get better. You're learning. Doing my best. You would think it would be a little smoother at this point, but we just keep pushing on. Last episode, I think, was titled Live from the Frozen North. This episode, Panner, is probably going to be Live from the Underwater South. Sally, Hurricane Sally, is not playing around with the with the rain, even all the way up here in Auburn. It has been raining all day today. Buckets. At one point, the storm was moving like two miles an hour, just hanging out, stretching its feet out. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous, especially for those uh, like in the Mobile and the Pensacola area, which if you're in those areas and you're listening to this, please, please stay safe. I hope you're safe. I hope you and your loved ones are okay. It has been a ridiculous amount of rain up here. So I think you and uh, you and Sarah P making your trip up to the frozen north, I think uh, timing wise, you know, not having to deal with with all this rain. I think uh, you dodged a, you dodged a bullet there. I think we nailed it, and we went to uh, to D.C., oh. um, saw some fantastic sights. Kevin Spacey was there, and uh, we— That is not what out. we would call a fantastic sight. You know, I think he's just hanging out somewhere. They all they start talking yikes. about him eventually. Yikes. Not these days. Not these days. I don't think we want to— Hang out with Kevin Spacey. No, he he took a he took a dark weird turn. This is the Auburn Observer podcast. We might as well introduce the thing now. Justin Ferguson here, as always, coming to you from Auburn, as I said, painter up in the Northeast. Uh, in Pennsylvania, it, it, baby, hanging out with the Amish. Uh, hanging out with the, hanging out in Amish country. Amish painter, painter. We are closing in on 1,000 free signups. It might happen uh, by the end of the weekend, but but by, maybe by the time. We record our next podcast where we start talking about we'll be in Kentucky week. We'll be in game week, which is game time. Which is amazing to think about that we're that we finally made it. Uh, we'll, we'll probably oh, be at a thousand. Speaking of which, I'm I'm going to steal your thunder right here because Go I, I've got to ask you. And if you want to get to this later, by all means, tell me to be quiet. What exactly is going on with the Big Ten <laughs> and the Pac-12? Yes, the Pac-12. let us not forget our boys out. West. The Big Ten, we're recording this late on a on a Wednesday night. The Big Ten earlier today says, hey, we're going to play football. We'll be here next month. Uh, we'll play like basically nine straight weeks, try to get Ohio State into the college football playoff. Let's be honest, that's exactly what they're trying to do here. Maybe Penn State's got a chance. Maybe Michigan gets his act together and makes a run. But this is mostly the fact that it seemed like there was going to be a college football playoff and the Big Ten was not going to be a part of it. You know, the money involved, the especially in a financially dire situation for a lot of teams and programs and athletic departments and you know they wanted to play the moral high ground i believe alex kirshner wrote it the moon crew newsletter when you try to be the sec and the ivy league at the same time you often don't do a good job of doing either and i think the big 10 wanted to hold this moral high ground that we were not going to play football and we had uh, had it and it was going to be okay and we were going to we were going to be the the right ones they were going to be on the right side of history here in the pac-12 as well Yet the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC persevered on. A few other group of five schools did as well. Time has gone on, and here we are in in mid-September, and college football is already happening. The ACC has done it. I'm not saying there haven't been any outbreaks. There's going to be games that get moved and canceled for sure, but the general tenor, I believe, across the country was just like, oh, this is happening. And it was going to happen without any outrage, and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 were going to sit at home. In the end, they were not... They weren't ready for it. They were not ready to, to sit it to sit out. 
they didn't stick to their guns. They can say that they're sticking to their guns and say, well, now we have testing. We have this daily rapid testing that'll make things easier. But the thing about that is, is that testing doesn't stop the virus. It's just it makes it so that you can be sure you can do some things safely. Well, I the think funny I, thing about the Pac-12 that I think is funny is that I don't expect them to have anyone in the playoff anyway. Well, and the thing there is that California and, and, and Oregon and Washington are on fire right now. Like, professional teams are having a hard time. MLB teams are having a hard time playing sports there right now. Um, MLS teams as well are having a hard time playing sports out there because of the air quality being so bad because of the wildfires. On top Very of that, cool. several of those states, or I say several, just a couple, of, maybe California, Oregon, have been like, yeah, y'all aren't practicing like they legally can't right now um so there's been a lot of pressure to try to change that in the meantime and it sounds like it's going to happen more people were used were getting used to the idea of them being college football this season the outrage died down and on top of that i think the push from players and such for things like a union faded away and more players were really ready to go and they wanted they'd rather just play you know people are understanding the risk and they're going to do it whether you believe it's right or wrong that they're playing football right now, I'll be honest, even as someone who's covering and is trying to make a living again covering the sport, like I have mixed feelings on the fact that they are playing a season. However, fact remains is that they are putting up a lot of protocols right now to make it make sure it gets done and they can do be done maybe as safely as you can during a time like this without doing things like a bubble or stuff that would really shatter the concept of, of amateur athletics in the NCAA forever. And, and number two, I mean, the people involved, the players, you know, if you want to be pro labor, if you want to be for uh, for the for the guys out there, the vast majority of those guys want to play and like they understand the risk and they're going for it. So I think that's the kind of the internal battle you kind of have in your head. The I thing like, that maybe is most interesting about this to me from a Big Ten perspective, Justin, yeah. sorry to cut you off there, yeah, is that good. they've done such a bad job this entire time Horrible. of of managing both, I think, true perceptions that matter, like the concerns of parents of the athletes and like how seriously they were taking this, plus like the PR and like marketing part of this, where like you just did a horrific job of, mm-hmm. of rolling out your plan so much so that as many other people have pointed out, the Big Ten has probably gotten more criticism for not playing, and we could go into those reasons and probably won't, than leagues like the SEC and ACC did for saying – we're going to push ahead regardless of the risk, some of which at the time we weren't as sure about. So it, like, it seems like at every step along the way, the Big Ten has been shooting itself in the foot. And I, and I think the people who are pushing for the moral high ground here for the Big Ten in defense of the Big Ten or attacking the Big Ten on this, this kind of moral standard, knock it off. It was the column that came out today, USA Today, that was like, this is the darkest day in the Big Ten's history, and it's like, look, man, I'm not, I'm not down, I'm not downplaying the fact that you know playing through a global pandemic is not a moral and ethical gray area for sure. I'm not, I'm not downplaying that whatsoever. I, like I said, there are mixed feelings about this, and I think a lot of people, you know, uh, have those kind of mixed feelings as well. However, this is a league that has had member schools do incredibly heinous things. No, we're not too far removed from it. Whether it's Larry Nasser, whether it's what happened at Ohio State, whether it's you know DJ Durkin and the death of a player rather recently, it's insane to go to go attack it from that angle right now. And yeah, people are gonna do it. And then the people on the other side are gonna say, well, the Big Ten, you know, all you hicks down in 
the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12. You just wanted to play football. We're going to do it the responsible way because we have more testing. And it's like, no, nah, y'all just wanted more money. You wanted to have, you don't want to miss out on the chance for, to get Ohio State in the playoff and get that money for the Big 10. And until proven otherwise, that's where we're Whoops. going with yeah. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry. So let's switch over to Auburn. <laughs> okay. Thank you. I think, think people might not, think people might, that might not have been our highest rated segment uh, in this, in this podcast short history. I'd uh, like to think that some of the people who follow along, at least on social media, as this has been a big topic on social oh, yeah, media anyway, sure. that like that's pertinent. And uh, yeah, I think uh, you, you're right. Let's let's transition to Auburn. Thursday morning at the Auburn Observer, I put out a projected depth chart. There's a lot to it. And this is a year where the depth chart cannot be attacked like a normal thing. Players are not available uh, from time to time. You know, people can be out at any given moment and out for a while, considering, you know, quarantine and, and contact tracing and all that kind of stuff. So with that in mind, to preview what this depth chart might look like as we head into game week next week, Painter, I took the liberty of putting every position group on the roster into three distinct categories. Number one, you got your leaders. These are the guys that if everybody's healthy, these are going to be your starters. These are the go-to guys. This is what you would be your projected starters, starters in a normal season. Then I got what you call the next man up. It's the guys that you're going to have to see this season, whether it's because of rotations, whether it's because of just general depth purposes, or like if somebody has to sit out, somebody who would be those those leaders of the position. These are the names you're going to have to know because they're going to be the ones having to allowed to play first team snaps this season. And then the third category is kind of the group to just keep your eye on. Watch out for them. They might not push for starters minutes this year, and they might not be the next man up. But they could make a move on the depth chart, and you know they've all got something about them that you got to be like, all right, don't don't forget about them, you know, because this season it's going to be all hands on deck. It's going to be you need every single man out there uh, uh, for your team because uh, depth can be constantly changing. Um, it's a it's a moving depth chart. As uh, as Kevin Steele said uh, uh, last week, and I think it's the, I think it's the best term I've heard for it. It is it is moving. It is constantly moving. So with that in mind, let's go through it. Let's talk about these positions where we think they, that they are as we head into really the final days of what you would call fall camp. And as we get into game week next week against Kentucky for that opener, Um you know, Thursday marks nine days away from the opener. Like we are now in the single digits. So it's about time to kind of wrap up the preseason chatter and start looking ahead to the season with this. So here we go. We start off with our quarterbacks. Um, Bonex, of course, is your leader at the position. It's going to be interesting to see what Auburn does between Grant Loy and Court Sandberg at that backup spot. I think Loy's made a really good move. There's a reason why they went and got him. Sandberg's got experience in the system. Then there's Shia Garnett, um, who I, I still say if, if Auburn is blowing somebody out, do you put a guy like Garnett in the game and give him some experience? It'd be in, interesting to see because there are more pieces ahead of him in uh, the quarterback depth uh, chart than maybe normally you would see from Auburn. There's 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 several guys back there. Painter, what are your general feelings on this quarterback position as we're nine days away from the Kentucky game? So I want to know what happens if Nix goes down like everybody, and I guess the answer is Loy, but certainly curious to see what they do with Garnett. I have a lot of appreciation for Court. I just don't particularly expect to watch him play this year. And on top of that, 
Um, like, I'm really curious to see what Loy can do if it matters. Like, is Auburn going to be able to get by with that? And uh, that's kind of it. It's like, what do you do if Nix goes down? And, uh, like, how reasonable is that? Because you remember – in 2016, Auburn is having, by all accounts, a solid year in the middle of the season. And Sean White, we can go over some of his weaknesses, but we can also go over the fact that they had a pretty crazy stretch run. And you can talk about the running game and how important it was. But as soon as Sean White couldn't stay healthy, and then Auburn played a weaker Georgia team and a better Alabama team, things got ugly. So I, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty cut and dry. What do you do if you lose you're really good quarterback because I think you and I are on the same wave. Even though Nix's numbers last year left something to be desired, we both think he's going to be a good quarterback this year. Yeah, I think just in the combination of, of Chad Morris and what his quarterbacks do under him pretty much everywhere but Arkansas, you can go all the way back to his high school days. I expect big things out of Nix this year. I expect big things just from a guy having a sophomore surge. But yeah, what happens if he gets hurt? What happens if he has to be out because of COVID? You know, that's like the. Like I said in the last episode, I it might be naive of me, but I'm thinking of this depth chart, quote unquote, as a depth chart where you have a starting quarterback and then you have the guys you can rely on around him uh, and then on defense as well. So it, it, it is a big question. I think Loy's progress in camp, the positive things you've heard about him from Malzahn and, and, and Morris is a good sign. And, and you went out and got him. And we've said it before about Corey Sandberg. He's not a guy that's necessarily going to challenge for huge minutes on this team. And that's not his role. That's not what he's there for. Um, But I also think that what happens if he misses early time and and like maybe Lloyd's not completely plugged in or ready to go yet. Does, does a guy like Sandberg get in there to get him through a game? Like I, that's a big question to me. And then, like I said, like what happens to Garnett? Like if Auburn's hammering Arkansas, like I think they could, what do they do in the fourth quarter? You want to get Garnett some experience? Like, it does not matter how much he plays. It doesn't matter how much anybody plays this year because it doesn't count. Everybody's eligibility is going to stay the same from this year. So, with that in mind, what are they going to do, um, you know, if something happens to Knicks? And I think that's the worst-case scenario for Auburn fans, and, like, you don't want to think about it that much. But I think it's something to consider on top of the fact where the big storyline from that quarterback position has got to be how far does Knicks improve um, I think the the level of his improvement is going to correlate into the level of improvement we see from an Auburn offense that has got to step up after after a rough couple of seasons. Yeah, it's hard to imagine Auburn losing what I believe will be eventually a star quarterback like Alabama did in Tua and continue to go on and even really remain super competitive in games. Is that unfair? Maybe that's unfair, but I... I have a harder time believing Auburn's ability to sustain if they were to, to be without Knicks. Now, we spent a, a good deal of time talking about just how dominant that defense was. And in 2016 and in stretches of 2018, even when the season's records didn't end as Auburn fans would have hoped, the defense still kept them in essentially every game. So I could be selling them a bit short, but I, I do think you have to be very concerned about that if you're Auburn, whether it uh, is an unfortunate injury to Knicks or, of course, the lingering problem with everything going on around us right now. And a piece of that on the offensive side, how much do you improve? How much do you take a step forward with Bo Nix leading the way in his sophomore season has to come down to the running backs. There was a story on the Auburn observer earlier this week. Why I think that Sean Shivers 
has a real shot to be Auburn's leading rusher this season. And I think, you know, we've we've talked about this in the past. He's, he's a guy who's size-wise is the way he is. May never be a dude who can carry the ball 20 times a game, but 10, 12, 15. If Auburn goes with a true rotation like we've seen from some of these schools across the country, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma, uh, some of these teams that you would like to emulate in terms of their success. Georgia's another good example, and they've been doing it for a while now. I think that Shivers has got as good a chance as anybody to be a real weapon this year. Um, I think it was Anthony Schwartz. Yeah, it was Schwartz who posted on Instagram the other day that the break, like somebody asked him in those like little Q and A's you do on the Instagram stories, who's going to be the breakout player this year. And he said, Sean Shivers. And it's like, there's a lot of buzz around this dude. And I mean, I don't think it's smoke. I don't think it's smoke whatsoever. I think it's, this is a guy that has a lot of qualities that make him a dude that, probably is the quote-unquote starter week one against Kentucky. And even if we see good performances from the guy, from guys like DJ Williams or Mark Anthony Richards or Tank Bigsby, I still think Shivers is going to be a key piece for a while. Yeah, wouldn't you say committee, uh, the, the wired is no longer by committee, it's by family? Yeah, that goes back to a DJ, uh, it goes back to a DJ Williams quote that he had uh, uh, earlier on, on Wednesday when we were talking to him. He said, I don't really see it as a battle we're all family. And as I said on Twitter, you know, the tired way of thinking about it is running back by committee. How about running back by family? Um, the Auburn people love the family uh, mantra. And, yeah, the way it's going for Sean Shivers, I mean, I don't think you can get too caught up on running back one with the way it sounds like Morris mm-hmm. is talking about his offense and having well, four different four. backs. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, like, I wouldn't get too caught up on it. But, like, yeah, there's a game in which Sean Shivers – could have 15 carries, and in this freshman and sophomore season, you would not have ever said that. Right. So it's it, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And I'm not going to rehash everything I wrote uh, in the Observer earlier this week, but like, take a look at what LSU did with a guy like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I don't think they're the similar running backs. I know they're both short, and people are like, ah, they're both short running backs. You know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire body type is 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 different. He's got a good 20, 25 pounds on him. But I'm thinking like. If, if Shivers is be, like Malzahn said, he's become a really good pass protector. And that's fascinating to me. Um, you know, and if he can be a better receiver, I mean, keep him on the field and let him go to work. We already know there's that versatility out there with Richards and Bigsby. And we know Williams has got some of that to his game as well. Cause he flashed a little bit last season. If Shivers can be that guy. And he's taking that step forward. Look out. I want everybody though, before we move on to the receivers, keep an eye on Harold Joyner. I don't know what his role is going to look like. I know Chad Morris said, you know, last week that they were looking for more consistency out of him, but he really likes his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. And I think you can move him around, especially in an offense that uses as much motion as Morris usually does. Keep an eye on uh, a Harold Joyner. Um, I don't know if he'll ever be quote unquote, a traditional running back. He might have a specialized role in the system. Let's, let's, let's see who he goes. Put a pin in that. All right. While, uh, while we're, uh, while we're pumping up Sean Shivers and gassing him up, just a reminder that I believe it was Anthony Schwartz on one of his forms of social media said when asked that he thought Sean Shivers was going to have a big year. So I, you know, I'm a little cryptic, but worth did you noting. Not hear me? Did you not hear me say that? Oh, uh, well, I blanked out there for uh, a minute, but I just wanted you to know that that is something that happened. It sounds like you've already, sounds like you've already let the people know this. This is like when we were back on radio. Sometimes it would just be like, I know I'm talking too long if Painter's zoning out. Um, well, no, here's the thing. It's I better, was like, to, read. It's better to read in person. 
I was formulating this idea in my head, but they say you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to let it come naturally because then you stop paying attention. It's all it's all good. I forgive you. I know I know your your wants are to pump up the guy who is is the shorter guy. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the fact that a short king like Sean Chivers could be could be a game changer this year for Auburn, and I and I and I understand and I respect that. Thank you. Please forgive me. Painter, before we move on to our next topic, we have something important to tell the listeners. This sounds exciting. Please tell me more. So we talked about this a little bit last week, and now we're going to talk about it some more. And that, of course, is Home Field Apparel. Home Field Apparel. Homefieldapparel.com. Premium, vintage, licensed collegiate apparel brand. Let me tell you, they make the best t-shirts on planet Earth. Like half of my wardrobe now is home field shirts. They're the most comfortable things that you're going to be able to buy, and they have awesome vintage college logos on them. And more importantly to the listeners of this show, as we talked about, they just launched Auburn. And not only did Auburn show up, they showed out in a big way. Auburn is now the highest selling day one school in home field history. And Painter, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the logos and the designs they put out there, it's easy to see why the, why the Auburn family threw their support behind them. And I said family because I know you love hearing that. Yes, of course, you the people made this possible at Home Field. Uh, premium hints the comfort, the vintage very much in style, the differing Albi images, the uh, the logos and the fonts all looking clean. That's Home Field taking advantage or, or taking care of you. It feels like they're taking advantage of you with these beautiful designs. Uh, Albi also getting kind of risque in some of these. I'm, I'm a big fan myself. Peter, you're you're a big fan of, of, of the Albi where he's looking, you know, he's got that side eye going. Side eye is one way of putting it, my friend. <laughs> that is the painter Albi. You can buy that. He's in a nice little sailor hat. There is an awesome Auburn <laughs> basketball design. Um, it's just like Sonny Smith era Auburn basketball design. He's the the tiger is dunking his whole arm through a hoop like Vince Carter. Um, it's a, it's it's an incredible shirt. Um, I I have one uh, that uh, that I gave to my brother for his birthday, and it's 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 super clean. Uh, a lot of old logos on there. There's an old one of Aubie kind of leaning up against an A uh, that's really kind of minimalist. Super cool look. And yeah, T-shirts, uh, hoodies, uh, long sleeve T-shirts, sweatshirts without hoods, all that. It's going to be the most I believe I've seen joggers, too. Let us not yeah. forget, if you're lounging in the time of COVID working at home, you want to look comfortable. But more importantly, you want to be comfortable while looking vintage, premium, stylish. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, my collection, my personal collection of home field stuff, we run we run the table here. A lot of really cool old logos from some schools big and small. Uh, my personal favorite, of course, is the thing that got this all kicked off with, with Big New Saturday. My Hawaii Rainbows, the old school look. Uh, shirt that one's really cool i got a i've got a shirt from a col- a division three college in michigan that i just thought was awesome um and uh, hope college in michigan there's some really cool shirts on on there and uh you know if, if you're an auburn fan they've got plenty of stuff for you if you're a fan of a smaller school um i know there's some georgia southern fans out there uh they, there's some auburn georgia southern crossover out there they've got you hooked up as well southern miss uh there's plenty more and they're going to be adding schools every week so check it out homefield apparel Dot com and what we're going to do for you folks if you enter the promo code homefield at checkout you're going to get a discount and it's going to be a sizable discount 20% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com just type in the code observer in the promo code section and you will get it get yourself hooked up with some new auburn gear 
it's comfortable it's clean it's the it's the stylish thing that everybody's gonna have and uh if you want to look cool on the internet especially on auburn twitter you got to have some home field stuff everybody everybody's doing it so check out home field apparel like i said uh promo code observer homefieldapparel.com they also have free shipping over 50 dollars. so get you get you a decent sized order in there and get comfortable for football season at home field let's go to wide receivers look I'm not, I'm not going to waste your time. We've talked a lot about Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz, just the different ways that those guys could take steps forward in this offense this year. Williams looks faster. Schwartz wants to be a better all-around receiver. Work makes a lot of sense in a Morris offense. Eli Stove. Can I, make a, can, I, can I butt in here real quick and just ask you uh, a question that will probably annoy you because I bet maybe you've gotten this question before. but Okay unquestioned idea that Eli Stove is the number three receiver in part because of experience. I would bet you've got some production and some numbers to back up why you think this. Has there been anyone that has played devil's advocate and said maybe Eli Stove isn't actually the number three? Can you give me a little bit of an argument as to why that's not in question for you? Uh, I'll say this. When healthy, Eli Stove has been the number three receiver pretty much every year. Uh, He's been even back when he was younger and he was backing up some guys that are no longer here, like Darius Slate and Ryan Davis. He's got a really big role. He's a senior. He, he's he's one of the few super experienced veteran skill players on the offensive side. I think he's going to play and play a decent bit. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like some of these other guys might be bigger number guys down the line that we that we might talk about in a little bit. But um, I think Stove is still going to play a role and, and play it well. So even if he doesn't get number three receptions or yards. Um, I think he's a starter. I think he's a starter, and, and he's a guy you see a lot this season. Um, I think another guy that who could be pushing him, though, um, is Shedrick Jackson. And Seth Williams praised him uh, recently for you know, just the ability. He's been able to look a lot really polished. We talked about that a little bit uh, in our last episode. Um, of course, Kobe Hudson and Xavion Capers have, have taken steps up. Kalen Newton, we've talked about him as well. I think that's, uh, that's seven guys right there. I think that's probably going to be where most of your production comes from this year um, in the receiver position. I'm interested to see what happens to Javarius Johnson. We haven't heard a ton about him this offseason, but he, he kind of feels like the perfect fit for a Morris offense. I've been a little disappointed about the lack another of short Another short guy you want to talk about. Yes, yes. I, you know, I, they're starting to point out a theme that has really been, I think, subconscious until someone else like made it so noticeable. But you are correct. That is true. I'd now that I think about it, I'm getting a little red. It's okay. We 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 all have our biases. Dre Butler is not short. Dre Butler is a massive human, so I think you're I think you're good in, uh, on that level, uh, for sure. And for the uh, record, I don't disagree about Stove. I was just being a bit of a, a jerk and playing devil's advocate. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. I think if the other players you have to look at at the position, um, those other freshmen coming in, Malcolm Johnson, uh, a, a new addition. Uh, it's got a ton of speed. Uh, to to that group, you've got uh, J.J. Evans, um, who uh, a lot of people like his upside for the future, Elijah Canyon as well. Tight ends, H-backs, whatever you want to call them this year. Everybody wants to talk about them. We've talked a lot about where they can fit in and like how much production we can see from them. But bottom line is, here's the guys you got to watch out for. John Samuel Shanker, he's gotten on the field of these in the last couple of years. He's the blueprint for what they've been wanting to build and in, in recruiting. He was kind of the forerunner to this whole thing. I think he'll be the first one out there, but man, all those freshmen, Luke deal who played a lot uh, last season off the bench in some roles that was kind of surprising considering he had a major knee injury last spring. Uh, Tyler Fromm, 
really good receiving option. Then of course the big the big boys, six foot seven Brandon Frazier, three hundred <laughs> pounds JJ Pegues. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun to see who steps up and makes the biggest impact out of that group because I think all of them are gonna get pretty good opportunities. Can you make a comparison in that Stove and Schenker will just be reliable, consistent players? You know what they'll give you, which will be good production, but you think there could be more upside with some players behind them at their position? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think all those guys that I just mentioned as those freshmen, um, kind of higher touted guys coming out of high school than maybe Shanker was. I think Shanker is versatile. He's he's a veteran. He's a leader at that group, which is which is very key. But yeah, I mean, like as good as as good as Shanker could be for Auburn's offense, as steady as he can be, he's not six foot seven or three hundred pounds. So like, there's going to be some things that the younger guys have physically. Uh, that they'll be able to put put out there. And I think it'll just be a matter of who takes advantage of those opportunities first and foremost. Over to the offensive line, uh, offensive tackle. We've got, it seems that it's going to be down between Austin Troxel and Alec Jackson for that left tackle spot. Is I would it disrespectful leave- of me to, to not believe that Troxel, now that healthy, is, has taken this spot and that they're just being a bit coy about this? Because I think you've actually given Jackson a good bit of credit this right. offseason. He's also been like, Yeah, and then like said, hey, don't forget about him. Um, but but I do sort of feel like, given what we've heard about Troxel over the last two years, particularly this year, it, it seems like if he's healthy, this is his spot. No. Yeah, I, uh, I I'm I'm of the opinion that that that's correct. I do wonder just with his his injury history, and we just know the unpredictability of COVID, the, the fact that Alec Jackson is being talked about as a potential starter there, maybe thinks maybe maybe that he hasn't been able to play as much. Maybe he's not been able to practice the whole time. I don't know. Like, I don't have that inside information. I do know that it's supposed to be a competition, but I'm with you. Like, my projection is Troxel starts at left tackle. Um, I think Jackson is going to be one of those next men up, whether at tackle or guard. I think he's going to be a key reserve this year for Auburn that they might have to rely on pretty quickly this season. Then you got a right tackle. You got Broderick Sam, and look, he's going to be a star. I mean, I've been talking about this for a long time now. Lock it in. Stone cold lock. Right tackle. He's going to be your guy, and I think he's going to have a great year. Um, the other tackles to keep an eye on, like we said, Alec Jackson. Uh, Prince Michael Sammons, like, not a guy who has played very much at all, but the fact he's still here at Auburn and that he's going to be a fifth-year senior makes me think that, like, in a pinch, you can go to him, or at least you could you can rely on him for some, for some depth purposes. Other tackles, Killian Zire and uh, Brennan Coffey. Might just take a little bit lo- longer. The weirdness of the JUCO transition this year, the, you know, Zyra coming off that injury, might take a little bit lo- while for them to become starter options. You know, if everybody's healthy. However, they could be called into action if any of those two guys, or three guys that I mentioned earlier, go down for any reason. So that's that's the thing about them. I wonder if we call them later in the year because of what you mentioned yeah. with eligibility. You know, it's like what if they they start coming on, even if it doesn't ever turn into a starting role. You yeah. know, like Auburn will have solidified by the second half of the season. But given the uh, the oddness of the season and eligibility, mm-hmm. like maybe uh, maybe you see more of those guys later in the year. I don't know. That that could be uh, overly optimistic. I, I think there's a good chance. I think there's a good chance you, you you do see them in some capacity this year. It's just they might not be dudes who are starting. Uh, early in the year interior line uh nick brahms center only returning starter i probably i think you could argue he could be like the third most valuable player on this offense like i think it would be bow 
you wouldn't want to lose him first and foremost. Then, uh, then Seth Williams probably, and then <laughs> and then Nick Brahms, and you can even quarrel with with two and three there. Other guard spots, Brandon Council. Brandon Council starting somewhere, and I think Tayshawn Manning's the one you're hearing about the most starting. He's been a left guard, so I think it's pretty, it's a safe bet. I mean, I'm not saying it's a it's a lock by any means, but if you want to put him at left guard and put Council at right guard, or if you want to flip him, um, I think those are your, probably your two guards. But Keandre Jones was making a good push this offseason. He was a guy that I was pretty high on heading into the year. Such a highly touted dude coming out of, out of high school. He's got that red shirt year to kind of get his feet wet and, and uh, established in the in the offense. We'll see how that goes. Uh, the backups there, Jaleel Irvin is your backup center. That one's pretty much locked down at this point. Uh, another third-year sophomore to watch out for on the interior is uh, is Cam Stutz. Uh, I think Cam Stutz has got some really good potential uh, uh, in, in an Auburn offense. It's just might be taking a little bit more time for him to establish himself and, uh, you know, could be a key depth piece this year than all those young guys behind him. Um, I would name them all right now, but then I would screw up and forget somebody. So just those freshmen and those redshirt freshmen, just, you know, that this is probably going to be a year that, you know, it, it will probably have to take some big time absences to see that through. So that's, that's kind of the cast of characters you're looking at on the offensive line. Still not locked in yet from, uh, from what we've heard. I'm interested to see what Malzahn says about them on Saturday when we talk to him um, kind of at the end of camp. You ready to flip over the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, let me ask you what should Auburn fans expect out of that very important centerpiece to Nick Brahms. I think there's an expectation that he'll very much be ready for what it is, which I think is probably given the position he plays on the line and his experience. Like, yeah, I don't think you can quarrel with what you said about him behind Williams and Knicks. And the interesting thing there is like, well, you know, quarterbacks just always important. And then in terms of pure talent, Williams could be on, you know, the upper end of of NFL talent. So it's like what you're saying is, all right, this guy is important. And, you know, last time we saw him, what did we see from him, Ferg? Like what was going on those last three or four games? With Brahms? Yes. Yeah. I think with, I think with Brahms, it was just Auburn was more stable on offense when he came back into the picture. Uh, he missed some time. He was hurt. Kim, Kim came in, and it just wasn't working out. The snaps were rough. You had the fumble problems at LSU. Um, I think Brahms is just a steady hand, and he's going to be a veteran. He's got a connection with Bo Nix, um, and that and that quarterback-center relationship is so key in, in any modern offense, uh, but especially with one that uses the shotgun as much uh, and does a lot of stuff with speed like, uh, like Auburn's does. So... Uh, I think you expect a guy that, you know, might not be an all SEC pick, but one that is going to be a kind of a glue guy up front. And uh, if he plays like his potential could be and he could stay healthy, um, I think he's I think he's a good center. I think he's a, I think he's a good center. I think his impact last season when he got back on the field for Auburn, uh, you could notice it. So let's see how much of that uh, kind of takes forward. On the defense, okay, thank you. Appreciate. It. I was just wondering, like, how good because it's like hard to evaluate the line that yeah. a lot of times, and like, given his position, it seems like he has an outsized uh, relevance on the line. For sure. Defensively, um, look, they're going to use a lot of these guys, so I think we can just shout out a bunch of names here and uh, and go with it. Defensive and Buck, whatever you want to call it, it's going to be Big Cat on one side, and it's going to be either Derek Hall or TD Moultrie on the other. Spoiler alert, it's a battle, and uh, I think that uh, either, both of those guys are going to play a good bit. So just pick whoever is going to be the starter. I would lean Hall, but 
you know, Moultrie, Moultrie has had a great camp and um, is a really good edge rusher. Uh, he can be effective. He's just got to do a better job of like converting those pressures into sacks. If he can do that, I think he's in for a big senior season. Uh, look, those are your those are your core three edge rusher, and then it gets fun because uh, then you get guys like Colby Wooden, who's had a great camp and can play anywhere up front. Steele was raved about him. We talked about that last week. Jaron Handy is just an absolute unit uh, at defensive end. Big guy uh, to put on the end. They like doing that. He can also kick inside to tackle. Caleb Johnson's had a good camp. You're hearing a little bit more about him. And then, you know, on down the line, uh, keep an eye on uh, Romella Height. He's had an injury. He's missed some time. But, like, he is the definition of a speed rusher off the edge. Auburn's really high on him. And then uh, Daniel Foster Allen got a little bit of love from uh, from Kevin Steele uh, last week. So, I mean, that edge rushing group pair is just it. I know losing Marlon Davidson is tough. I know it's going to be different not having uh, Derek Brown creating a lot of space on the inside. But, buddy, is there a lot of talent in that unit. Sorry to back up here, but is Hall similar to McLean and the amount of like eagerness you are to watch their seasons, or is that getting a little ahead of myself? I know I'm backtracking here, going to Hall. Yeah, no, I, I think I think uh, this is what this is for is kind of just picking up, you know, specific guys. The thing with Hall is that uh, I, I really I really like what he brings in terms of his explosion. Uh, we've talked about it before, uh, whether it was on this podcast or maybe um, on our la- on our radio show we did. The fact that he was such a multi-sport athlete, including a track guy, he was a sprinter in high school, and he's that large of a human. Um, it's just that explosive first step coming off the edge, and I, I mean, he flashed last season. Like you, you would turn on to film and, and watch Auburn play defense last year, and whenever he was in the game, you were like, that guy right there, they're gonna be all right because that guy's gonna get more snaps. Uh, in the future and um, I don't know man like I think Big Cat Bryant's everybody's pick as it should be to be the leader up front in terms of stats but like if Derek Hall turns it loose this year I mean he could be a dude who challenges for some for some big numbers in terms of sacks and tackles for loss all right I'm in I'm sold all right we're gonna move to defensive tackle because because I know you want to talk about your boy Dre Butler yeah I've been excited about this guy uh, as it's well documented all right so your starters are Tyrone Truesdale and most likely Daquan Newkirk. Look, Daquan Newkirk is like 327 pounds now, and he used to play running back in high school. It's going to be fun. Uh, Derek, Derek Brown is a really uh, uh, unique and elite type of athlete that you get once in a generation. Daquan Newkirk is like not far off in terms of just pure athleticism and strength for a man of that size. I wonder if he'll shoot up draft boards at all. I don't know. If He's got to stay healthy, like, but he could be he could be a late bloomer for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I just I'm curious to see him, but yeah, that's the thing we haven't seen him. So you're right. That's that's I don't know. Is that a catch twenty two or is that not how that works? Uh, I think that's right. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not a scholar by any means. Uh, defensive tackle behind those two guys. We talked about Truesdale. He's a returning starter. You know what you're getting out of him, uh, and it's a, it's a lot of good a lot of good work for sure. Uh, Marquise Burks and then your boy Dre Butler, both have been yes. pretty impressive. Uh, both have been pretty impressive. But the only, but the different thing about that is is that those guys have been impressive at defensive tackle, making that quick transition for some JUCOs that maybe some other positions haven't gotten uh, that qu- off to a quick of a start this year. However, they're not alone. Jay Hardy has been compared to Derek Brown about every turn, and Zacchaeus Walker can play on the inside and he was kind of mentioned with the tackles, but he could also play in and like 
He's like a young Marlon Davidson who can move everywhere. I'm fascinated to see where he plays this season because I think it could be everywhere. That defensive tackle group, I know there was some there were some issues and we talked about it a couple weeks ago when Connus Miller left, but like you look at it, they're gonna be all right, especially when you talk about how many of those ends can kick inside the tackle. Said this recently, I'll say it again. I'll worry about this group when they suck again. <laughs> it's gonna be a long time. Uh, linebackers, this will this will be quick. Hey, your your core four is down to a trio because uh, Chandler Wooten opted out this season. But look, you know what you're getting. All SEC uh, linebacker KJ Britt back for another year. He's running it back with the likes of Owen Popo and uh, and and Scott McLean. Don't want to harp on this one uh, too much, just because this is the most solid and secure unit on the on the team. You've also got Wesley Steiner and Cam Riley making moves to try to be that fourth man this season. We'll see what happens for guys like Desmond Tisdall, who's had to miss some time, and then also some of the younger redshirt guys in OC Brothers and Cameron Brown. Let's get to the secondary real quick. Here we go. Secondary. Roger McCreary is your starter at cornerback. We've talked about him a lot. He's there. Your your other cornerback position is going to be very interesting to see. The secondary, we know that Roger McCreary is going to be your starter at cornerback. No surprise there. We've talked about him a good bit. He's going to be a star, I think. So, and a lot of other smart people, smarter not people. Not enough, apparently, for. I'm not lumping myself into the smart people. I've been saying. Um, oh no, no, no! I, that's not the part I'm giving you a hard time about. But what I will say is that we uh, we feel good about this uh, this cornerback situation. You feel good about Pritchett given uh, our our relative lack of seeing him. Yeah, I, I think he's the uh, he's the new Roger McCreary in terms of just give him some time and he'll he'll develop. And um, I think him and Marco Domio will have to be relied on this year. It was interesting. McCreary kind of referred to Domio as a guy that could give him some good depth. He's making that transition, so it makes me think that Pritchett might already have this job sealed up. But, you know, there's also everyone else in that position. Jalen Simpson, Matthew Hill, Devin Barrett. Don't forget about Devin Barrett, man. Like, he's been in that – he's he's firmly established himself at corner. And if anything happens to any of those cornerbacks in front of him, I think Devin Barrett's going to be a guy they're going to rely on this year. Looking forward to seeing what those dudes do because um, there's a ton of depth at cornerback. Not a lot of it is experienced. But there's a lot of depth, and Kevin Steele sounds very confident in it because then all those dudes are running with the first-team defense uh, at times and keeping the top off on the coverage, which is very, very key there. Uh, Nick, when are we getting to the point where the cornerback slash defensive back group starts kind of getting into the defensive lineman territory of worry about it when it sucks? Because when you I, start putting in yeah. lots of people in the draft, especially the first two days of the draft, I start caring less and less when, like, you know, there's some person's name I don't know, and I'm like, well, I'm sure it'll be just fine. Yeah, I think the thing there uh, is that I think if they pull it off again with Roger Curry, you have to have it, right? We just saw Carlton Davis shut down Michael Thomas in, in to, like, the worst day of his life uh, as an NFL receiver. We know what Jamel Dean uh, has done with him. Noah Igbenogany got some good love playing nickel for, for the uh, the Dolphins in his debut. I think if they pull off something similar when and McCreary's an early round pick again, you have to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Yeah, I would say another like, you know, I don't know, second or third round pick or up, and it's just like you're starting to go, okay, so the number one is probably just, you know, the top ten corner every year is is basically what we're getting, yeah. uh, like what what kind of production you're expecting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I keep trying to jump to the position with a, without, you know, making sure you're ready to go there. So that's on me. Nickel. Let's go to nickel. Um, Christian Tutts back. 
I think Christian Tuck uh, is is you know a player that could take a take a jump forward this year. There's some areas of his game he needed to he needed to work on this offseason. However, um, he's he's a really good leader for that secondary. He is the only quote unquote starter returning, and we use that term loosely around here with Kevin Seals' defense. On top of that, he's like the leader in, in interceptions coming back on this team. So he's just a playmaker. And let's see how far he's come forward. We do know that uh, we do know that Jalen Simpson. Am I getting that right, or uh, if I if I got myself confused again? Um, has has What's produced been some chatter going on, Ferg. Well, at nickel, you've got to keep an eye on him because or Zion Puckett. I'm sorry, I got I just said Simpson. Uh, Zion Puckett, you know, last year. Um, had an injury, missed some time. Steele said he lost some weight. It took him a while to get back going again, but he's done a really good jo- job in camp. And so has Ladarius Tennyson, who's just explosive athlete, man. You want to talk about uh, uh, another another short king? You want to you want to support uh, Painter? Ah, he's I'm five, all nine. in on the short kings. He's five nine, so he's not tiny. Uh, five nine. That's five, my nine. height, baby. Or at least it's my height on a good day. Uh, uh, just an explosive athlete. They felt so confident in the, in those two guys backing up Tut at nickel that they felt like they could put Jordan Peters back at safety. And speaking of safety, let's go to safety. Um, Jordan Peters is in a three-man rotation with the guys that we know are going to be the the quote unquote stars of the of the secondary, the leaders of the position, and that is Jamie and Sherwood and Smoke Monday. And here's a quote about here's your weekly. This is something that uh, that someone said about Jamin Sherwood that's awesome of the week. Roger McCreary on Wednesday compared Jamin Sherwood to Isaiah Simmons. Your thoughts? I was like, dang, um, that's like I think that he knows who that I, I think he knows who Isaiah Simmons is. He definitely knows who Isaiah Simmons is. So I was not- like, oh, okay, like that is good because. That guy is also very good. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. But well, that's startling analysis for me. But I don't know what else to say. Like that's a really big comparison. And my my joke about him knowing who Isaiah Simmons is is that uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't make that comparison lightly, right? Like if you know that people are going to latch onto that, you only make that comment if you're fairly certain that that guy plays like Isaiah Simmons. So here's the thing about Isaiah Simmons. He's big. But here's the thing about Jamie Sherwood. He's bigger than you probably realize. Peter, do you know how big Jamie Sherwood is listed on, on the roster this year? 6'1". 6'2", 220. He's gained 16 pounds since last season. What are they feeding that guy? I don't know, man. But he's a big safety, and he's a guy that can – I mean, we know it. Like, you look at the PFF numbers. You look at you look at some of the stats last season on a per-snap basis. He efficiently made plays and got things done in every area of the game, whether it's coverage, whether it's uh, whether it's run stopping, whether it's coming up and blitzing in certain situations. This dude is a pro, and this is a this guy. Is an interesting thing to me that you you seem to be really high on Sherwood last year, mm-hmm. and then I, it seems like you pivoted not because you're expecting less from Sherwood, but. You started talking more about like McLean and Hall. I felt like as guys that could have these breakout seasons, and that could be in part because you just know like Sherwood's a lock to be a good player, given the like the productivity of, of the past. But uh, I've just been curious. I feel like we haven't talked about him as much in the back half of the summer. I'll say this, Painter. I haven't talked about Jamie Sherwood as much as a breakout player because I think he's already broken out. I think he's already. Yeah. Broken. It's yeah, just a matter of yeah. playing more snaps. 
Like, like the numbers say, say it all for him. And I mean, whether you want to count on PFF grades or not, but I just know what people have said about him, what his coaches have said about him, what people who evaluate talent at this level say about him. It's just, he's that dude. He is that dude. And he is going to be a monster this season for Auburn. Uh, also at safety, we talk about smoke Monday. Hey, like Smoke Monday is a playmaker, and he's been right there with Sherwood. It's been a great connection. That chemistry they have with Tut and McCreary are going to be fun. Is going to be fun to watch this season. All those juniors kind of getting a ball out at the same time as as starters. That's, will be. Yeah, that's cool timing for sure. The, you know whether that was intentional or not. Yeah, it's it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. Also, keep in mind Chris Thompson, uh, juniors back there is a guy to watch. Malcolm Askew will provide some good depth there. Oh, and I also forgot to mention at corner, uh, Eric Reed is a guy. Uh, to keep an eye on this year and see where his development goes. Especially I'm always thinking Eric Andre. <laughs> Eric Andre Reed. Uh, don't want to don't want to harp on special teams too much. There's still a battle going on at punter. Honors Carlson is your dude at kicker. Really interested to see if the new kicker they brought in, Evan McGuire. He's a big guy. He's like six four, I believe. Uh, kind of like Honors Carlson is. Uh, I wonder if he could be a kickoff guy. That was something that that was something that it was mentioned when he was getting recruited to Auburn. Um, that he could be a kickoff thing uh, specialist. I, I, that, right? Like LSU has uh, Auburn High's kicker uh, Avery, I think, and he <laughs> like a lot of their kickoff stuff. But you know they have a, another kicker who I guess is better. I don't mean to like throw Avery under the bus. Like you have different strengths or scholarship player. Yeah, your scholarship kicker basically who's a, who's going to be your field goal guy. I man, like look, I think that Avery's also tackled a bunch of people. If anyone thinks I'm throwing shade at him, like he's a really, really good. good he was, he was a really good defensive back at Auburn High. No shade whatsoever to him. Uh, I'd be interested to see if McGuire does kickoffs, if they want to lighten Carlson's load, or if that's going to stay the same. Punter, there's still a battle. We talked about that the other day. Uh, kickoff return, Sean Chavers is going to be your guy to watch there. Punt return, Christian Tuck comes back. You can check out all of that analysis a little bit more in-depth. Put the guys in certain A spots. little bit more in-depth? A little bit more in-depth at AuburnObserver.com. Check it out. The projected depth chart for the 2020 season painter we were going to do these like position previews but we're not very good at planning or at least i'm not and uh, we're not gonna have enough time to finish it before we get to the kentucky game so there was this one position group we were going to talk about next that we can really focus in on i know we wanted to have this discussion about him i was talking to our buddy dan peck of the dan peck radio network earlier this week darius slayton man huge monday night for him Two touchdowns for the Giants. Big performance for them against the against the Steelers. They didn't win. Uh, big Ben looked terrifying. What did you call him earlier the, when, we, when we were talking about this? A big bag of beef, but he is good given that he's coming up on years old and has a couple of Super Bowls. Questionable human, I guess, but good at football. Field Yates ESPN put this out. Since week five, no one has had more touchdowns, receiving touchdowns in the NFL than Darius Slayton. That's wild to think about. This is a dude who's a fifth round pick. He's been playing so well since he started into the since he started getting into the starting lineup. And he's overcome the fact that Daniel Jones is not a very consistent Daniel quarterback. Daniel Jones is his QB. Your boy from Duke, Daniel Jones. This this all started and you can check it out. The observer earlier this week did what I call a bonus post. We didn't put it out on the email. I just wanted to put this up on the internet. Justin Lee, friend of the program, uh, said, Hey, if Auburn was a fantasy team in week one, like how many points have they gotten? How many would other SEC teams have done? Turns out pretty well. They were number two behind Alabama, and of course Alabama did because they got all those receivers and running backs. However, moving on from that, Slayton was a key part of that. If you had Slayton in fantasy like I did, you had a really good week. This is an interesting time to segue into talking about Darius Slayton because, Painter, you wanted to discuss him specifically on the podcast. Why? 
So I think that people remember him from 2018 and forget his 2017, but even for the people who remember his 2017, I think there seems to be a hyper-focus on the Mississippi State and Tennessee games, in which I do believe he had some significant drops, uh, one in each. I also think there was a play against Mississippi State that was not his fault, but he was involved instead of misfire on the throw. But either way, you're looking at some catches that could have been to maybe beat teams that I think they were actually better than and go on to have a 10-win season. That aside, there seems to also be a lot of people revisiting history or revising it. Look, uh, I don't know many people that were maybe as complimentary or at least as eager to see Darius in an NFL system. He's he's developed really, really well. I think my thing with Darius Slayton is that he had some drops. You know, he had some plays that people that stick out in their memory in 2018. But man, in 2017, Auburn's offense got to open up a whole different level because he and Darius Slayton had, or he has Darius Slayton. He and Jarrett Stidham had such a good deep ball connection. And Auburn had been missing that for the last couple of years before 2017. And Slayton unlocked it. I remember the Missouri game where it was like, well, no one's going to catch him. So, um, you know, just keep keep throwing it deep downfield. I think part of the issue, though, is maybe his ceiling was a little bit limited at Auburn for a number of reasons. Number one being the Malzahn offense didn't really ask him to do a ton of different things. I think what we've seen with Seth Williams is what we've, we've seen more variety out of that X, that, that split in uh, the number nine, if you will, at Auburn. You know, uh, I think you've seen a little bit more of that the last season, uh, maybe the last couple of seasons. I think last season, definitely for sure. Uh, 2019 with what we've seen out of Seth Williams. Uh, number two, uh, Ryan Davis got a lot of targets, and like we love Ryan. He was a he was a former intern for us on our show uh, when we were on on the radio. Um, but right. the fact of the, the fact of the matter is is that Slayton's opportunities were were maybe not as high as they could have been because Davis was getting a lot of those a lot of those balls in the air um, just because of his role and and what Auburn was trying to do through uh, the passing game on offense. And really, number three, I think it's just. I think that he had to get into a situation maybe where an NFL passing game, maybe a team that wanted to throw the ball uh, uh, more than what Auburn had had, just giving him some more chances to thrive. I mean, we all know that he was a physically gifted talent. I mean, before before Anthony Schwartz and Sean Chivers arrived, he was arguably the fastest player Auburn had on offense. Um, he's a He is a blur, and he still is in the NFL. So I think it's just... You know, he he proved a lot at Auburn, um, but, you know, it, some people gave him a hard time. I remember people thinking when he left after 2018, it's like, oh, that's a bad decision. And, oh, when he got picked in the fifth round, oh, that's definitely a, a bad decision. And lo and behold, like I said, no one in in uh, the NFL has had more receiving yards since week five of the 2019 season than Darius Slayton. And that is something pretty remarkable, if you ask me. Uh, it's been impressive, and I like him. Just fascinated that uh, we've seen, and this happens, you know. Like people get excited about players from their former teams, but I, I do think it's important to note, like uh, people were almost in a good riddance phase with Darius when he decided to go pro, and uh, I feel like people are changing their tunes, and rightfully so. Yeah, it, do we call this? Do we call this uh, podcast episode revisionist history? I'm into it. I, I I'm down. You think Malcolm Gladwell will get mad at us? I think he'll uh, I think he'll allow it. Although I'm sure uh, he's uh, he's listening. Yeah, I mean we know Malcolm's a big a big uh, Chad Morris fan, so he's really wanting to figure out what the offense looks like this year. 
Uh, by the way, yeah, while Dude, we're on the yeah. subject, while we're on the subject of Auburn in the NFL, um, Cam Newton, like uh, that, I mean, that couldn't have gone better for him. I don't think he got to go like he got to go classic Cam. Like we hadn't seen that, we hadn't seen that kind of Cam in a little in, in a minute because of those injuries and kind of the way the way it all ended for him in Carolina. He got to like turn it turn back the clock. Like Josh McDaniels was calling some plays from like the 2010 Auburn playbook out there. I'm really curious to see how it changes from week to week and how much it changes because I think there's some people that are assuming like they're going to run him into the ground and it's like I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're smart about everything. I think they'll run him hard some games and they'll, that that's going to be something honestly that'll be fun for like Patriots fans in general. Uh, but most people don't care about that. But like I think Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick are like we'll do what takes by weeks that'll probably involve using his legs and his athleticism and when they do that that'll be awesome i'm also excited to see them pass the ball which i think they are going to do at times when it suits them because bill belichick's the best at exploiting weaknesses on other teams yeah and i know it's going to come at the expense of your boys in the afc east but like if the patriots play defense like like they can and cam continues to grow in that offense and and gets a little bit more responsibility in the passing game look Allen robinson apparently wants out of chicago and i've seen the patriots oh, like be a God. be a be a team that could use him i like it i like it uh, hey but the bills look good yeah no, like josh, you, you like, had a great summary like josh allen didn't look bad like josh you allen, had a good summary for him you said he was simultaneously good and terrible and both of those uh, descriptions were unfortunately accurate. I think most of the game he played on Sunday, he was great. And then he had a few moments where it was like, Oh buddy, what are you doing? Like, it's just those few moments where you're like, Oh wow. Those, those fumbles are pretty important, but it's like the jets are terrible. So you can get away with that. Uh, elsewhere, man, Peyton Barber and the Washington football team come back win over the Eagles. It's good to see Peyton Barber scoring touchdowns for somebody again. Like, he, he will always have that role of just like you're inside Crazy. the five yard you're inside the five yard line. Peyton Barber is going to be hard to bring down. <laughs> I love it. Like I hope he's the touchdown Absolutely. vulture for the rest of his career. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean uh, CJ Uzama, um, decent start for uh, for them um, for the Bengals. I know they came up short and the kicker. Good gracious, that's like a just a real terrible way to lose a game, but. Uzama establishing a little rapport with uh, with Joe Burrow uh, will be fun to watch for sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, on top of that, top of that, Daniel Carlson, AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. He hit one from uh, basically New Mexico uh, uh, on on Sunday and uh, was perfect on his extra points. And uh, it's good to see him get it off to a good start. So off to see, it's good to see him get off to a good start because last year was really up and down for him. I found it funny how many Auburn fans were like, I hate the Vikings after the coach was kind of mean about the fact that they cut him. Yeah, on top of that, it's like I hate the Vikings too because uh, I had their defense for some reason and uh, and I was an idiot <laughs> for playing up against Aaron Rodgers, who Aaron Rodgers is on like the revenge tour this year. A little bit of housekeeping before we wrap up uh, today's show. The college basketball I said the college basketball. College basketball apparently is going to start the week of the Iron Bowl. November. November 25th. November 25th. I tried to invent a month there. The official start date of the... Good gracious, I am so bad at this. Date of the (laughs) 2020-2021 college basketball season will be November 25th. 
November 2-5, 25th. All right, November 25th. For those of you who might not know, that is the week of Thanksgiving, which is the week of the Iron Bowl. So we are going to get an Auburn basketball opener and the Iron Bowl and Thanksgiving all in the same week. Painter, what do you think about that? (laughs) It sounds close enough to drugs to be pretty crazy. So for now, I'll take it. It seems like a big win for all of us. I tweeted out season opener. In basketball and the Iron Bowl will be in the same week. And I had that gif of Elmo, like, hailing, Sa- hailing Satan or whatever he's doing in front of the Flames. You know what the funniest it is part my of favorite. It is my favorite of all of the gifs. I- I'm glad you like it because you know who else is a fan of that? <laughs> Max Olsen, I don't know. Bruce Pearl retweeted that. <laughs> so apparently so apparently it's confirmed that Auburn is playing on playing on that week uh and uh Bruce is a fan of uh, uh is Bruce is a fan of uh Satanist Elmo that's the podcast title this is definitely the podcast title Bruce and Elmo I can't is, believe that he thinks that that's as funny as I do because that is my favorite of all of the gifts there are so many gifts that are overused but every time someone comments with that gif I chuckle podcast title today is Bruce and Elmo <laughs> or, or maybe it's something to do with the with the with the Elmo gift something about how about hail Elmo instead of hail <laughs> we're getting some gray area but I like that we're pushing the boundaries hail hail Elmo let's do it Auburn basketball season opener hopefully as we get closer to that season we'll start uh, popping up some more stuff uh, on the Auburn Observer However, as we said, AuburnObserver.com, if you haven't signed up yet, we are close to 1,000. You might be the 1,000th person to sign up to the Auburn Observer. That would be pretty cool. That'd be a cool designation to have, wouldn't it? More Uh, for us than for you, but, I mean, (laughs) please do sign up. Please do sign up for sure. As we've been saying all this month, uh, you have a a couple more weeks to get completely 100% free, both of the podcasts for the week and every story will be free at the Auburn Observer. Switch over on October 1st to a paid format for $6 a month right now. A lot of you have asked me if there will be an option to pay on a yearly basis. Going like I don't want to say it's definitely going to happen, but like I'm I'm very close to kind of locking that in. So um, if he doesn't do it, I'll dox him. Yes, if if he, if I well now I have to do it. October 1st <laughs> we switch over to a paid format. That means uh, all the stories and analysis. Uh, at least the vast majority of them will be paywalled and one podcast per week will be premium. AuburnObserver.com is where you can check it all out. Painter, do you have anything else to add before we bid adieu? No, I think I've pushed uh, pushed the limits tonight, but I appreciate it. And as always, thank you guys for listening and supporting us. Ferg, appreciate your patience. Uh, and I will talk to you very soon. When are, we, when are you thinking we do this again next? I think we might do one more kind of like Sunday uh, recording. Maybe we'll roll it out on Monday. We'll see what the media schedule looks like for next week. But game week is almost upon us, ladies and gentlemen. The next time we talk, we will be closer into game week mode. Follow me on Twitter at jfergusonau. Follow him at paintsharpless. Continue to rate, review, and subscribe. Got a lot of really nice comments from you guys about the podcast, which is so, so huge for us. And we thank you so much for them. And we will talk to you again. Painter, stay warm and hail Elmo.